Blessed New Year to you. We're so thankful for your presence here, and our prayer today is that God's good hand of blessing will continue to rest upon you in the new year as well. Are you glad you're here? Are you glad to begin a new year? Actually, no, I, I tell everybody, new year actually begins every day for me. Isn't that right? Sure it does. Think about it for a while. All right. Today, the beginning of a new year, and we thank God for that. I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Joshua. We're going to this. I had another message, again, that I was going to do from Joshua. It was one of the first chapters, but this one I've decided. Uh, we've done this. We've preached from this portion before, but I just felt that this is something we should be talking about today as well. It has to do with choices in our life. And as I've mentioned here before, choices have had a lot of emphasis during the past year as well as years. For instance, women continue to fight for what they call the right to choose. That battle is still going on, the right to choose. TV producers are countering the charge that there is too much violence and sex on TV by saying that the public has a choice. You don't have to watch. You could change the channel or you can turn it off. The choice is up to the viewer. On the other hand, there are so many choices for so many things, people now have a hard time making decisions or choices at all. Have you ever been to a fine restaurant and after you have ordered your main course, the waiter or waitress then asks you, do you want coffee? Yes. Regular or decaf? Decaf. Black? No. Sugar or sweet and low? Cream or milk? Milk. Skim or regular? One or two percent? After you finish that, she asks again. A salad comes with the meal. Do you want the house or toss salad? The house. Dressing? Yes. Which kind? Blue cheese, Italian, creamy oil, blue cheese, regular or light? When you finish that, she asks, bread? Yes. You want white or whole wheat? White. You want toast or regular? Toast. You want butter or jam? Choices, choices, choices. I went to a restaurant. I was over there, and the lady went to the whole list. I says, why do you make it so different? Just sell one thing, so don't they make any choices. Somebody said, you go into the Baskin Robbins, you know, they have, what, 52, whatever it is, choices? And then people ask for vanilla. <laughs> choices. But we are living in a time when the gospel of Jesus Christ is seen as just of many religious choices. In fact, the Bonner Research has just said that people today are choosing spirituality, that's what they call it, and religion over Christianity. That's the choice that most Americans are making now. Choice involvement is a matter of choosing between what is convenient and what is not, what I like or what I do not like. There seems to be only a few who have made clear-cut decisions based on commitment or conviction of principles and values. Few people who leave churches today, it has been found, leave for doctrinal reasons. Or join a church for doctrinal reasons. They either join because of the music, but not for doctrinal reasons. There seems to be a lack of real conviction concerning spiritual matters today. 
There are simply too many competing alternatives to choose from. And very few people want to go through the process of evaluating the church that they should attend or not attend based on biblical principles rather than personal likes or dislikes. Think about it for a minute. Just take music. People say, I don't want to go to that church. Why? Because they only sing traditional music. Right away, they're saying that if you don't like traditional music, hey, I cannot fellowship with you. Or I only like contemporary music. If they don't sing contemporary music, well, I don't want to go there. What are they saying? They're saying that I want it done my way. They don't think about other people. In other words, everybody who comes to our church has to like traditional music or like contemporary music. Well, I'm not satisfied. You get right down to it, it's selfishness. But that's the world we live in. Choices based on my likes or dislikes rather than on the word of God. Joshua saw the same dynamic at work in the people of Israel after the conquest and settlement of Canaan. And it's this issue of indecisiveness that he addresses head on in a powerful message in chapter 24 of the book of Joshua. And I invite you to turn to that passage. They were in the promised land by this time, but they had not driven out the enemy as God had commanded them to do. And they were trying to live in peaceful coexistence, which is almost always impossible. But it was a peace without victory for them. Many of them were worshiping the false gods of their enemies and enjoying the spoils of the land at the expense of true fellowship with God. In other words, because they wanted what they wanted, they gave up what God demanded. Many Christians have the same mistaken notion and mentality that they can enjoy peaceful coexistence with the world, with the flesh and the devil. But let no one fool you. There is as much idolatry among us as Christians in the Bahamas in our day as there were in Joshua's day. There is still this coexistence with evil, with unholiness, immorality, impurity. And we tolerate it, we say. We coexist when we can make a choice to separate. But we don't because it's too tough on us. The decision is too hard for the make. How can I give up this easy lifestyle, this convenient lifestyle, and do what God demands? The choice is so hard for many. The love of money, possessions, sensual pleasure, and love of ourselves, these are all idolatrous attitudes because we put them before God. And they are all alive and well in our churches. And I believe they're all well and alive here in Calvary Bible Church probably beginning with me. As a result, many are living in the promised land, but without actually possessing their possessions in Jesus Christ. They're living in the land amongst their enemies, rather than with their friends, with God himself. And they are satisfied with that situation. Let's begin our study by, I told you to go to chapter 24. That's 24, 1 and 2. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God 
of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. See this book I hold in my hand? This is the book that says, thus says the Lord. And as we begin a new year here at Calvary Bible Church, this is the book I am committed to proclaiming. Thus said the Lord. Not philosophy, not uh, psychology, not any kind of socialism or anything else like that. It's the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. And that means you're going to have to make choices. Choices. And that's illustrated right here in the book of Joshua. Now you see that then? Then says the Lord, the God of Israel. This then here takes us back to chapter 23. This takes us back to 23. which sets the stage for Joshua's address to the people. So now I want you to go to the last three verses of this chapter. Chapter 23, verses 14, 15, and 16. Verse 14 says, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you and not one of them has failed. Isn't that magnificent? Joshua himself is at the end of a long, full, and prosperous life, both spiritually and materially. His greatest concern now before he dies is not himself. His greatest concern is not for himself, but for his people and for their relationship with God. What an example of a godly leader Joshua is. Would to God I would be as faithful when I am ready to go the way of all the earth. What about you? You could go all the way of all the earth today. Can you be able to say with Joshua, as he will say later on, that I have wholly followed the Lord? But what Joshua is doing here now is bringing the people's attention to God's faithfulness. God keeps his promises. And here in chapter 24, he speaks to all the people and he calls them to reevaluate and renew their love relationship with God. This is a call that I am making today as well as we stand on the threshold of a yet uncharted new year. I want you to remember that God is faithful. He keeps his promises. Joshua is bringing this to the attention of his people. Look at verse 15. It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. The promises that bless us, and the promises that curse us. See, many times when we go to the Bible, we always say, all the promises of God are mine. And all we think about are the good ones. But God made some bad promises to you, do you know? If you don't do this, I'm going to do this. This is what he says here. Notice what he says here. It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats. 
until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And so when we look toward the new year now, we have to discern between the promises of God. Am I going to follow the good promises and avoid the bad? Or am I going for the bad choices and avoid the good? God will bring his threats to pass as much as his promises. Remember that for the new year. That's reality. You say, well, I don't want to go into the new year with that in mind, that God could bring threats and judgments upon you. Too bad. Thus said the Lord of God, if you don't obey me, I'm going to curse you. I'm going to punish you. That's the word of God. If you obey me, the blessings are there. The choice is yours. Verse 16. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods, and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good lands which he has given you. God is faithful. He keeps his promises, even these promises. Well, you say, Pastor man, what you doing? This is the new year. I won't go into it feeling good. Oh, you're going to go into it feeling good if you make the right choice. Verse 16. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you to go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. God is faithful. He keeps his promises, the good and the bad. Do you accept that? People like to quote this verse, Jeremiah, but the Lord only has good plans for you. That's all. Good plans. But there's some conditions there. Some conditions. Now, down to Joshua 24, verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and their judges, and their offices. And they presented themselves before God. This is a trait with Joshua, he always begins with the leaders. And if I was preaching to leaders now, this is where I would stop right here. Because we are the ones to model Christ-likeness and obedience to God. And he begins with the leaders. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, with the leaders standing behind him. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Joshua made a decisive action here. He made a divine response, and he gave a direct reminder, a decisive decision. He called all of the leaders together. A divine response. They presented themselves before God. A divine reminder. Remember where you came from. Abraham, I brought you from terror. Remember where you came from. That's a good thing to remember as you go to a new year. The faithfulness of God in the past year. Have you reflected on God's goodness to you in the past year? Thankfulness for God's faithfulness in the past. You need to do that. I need to do that. Remember where God has brought you from. Remember also where he's leading you to go. And he begins now by reviewing their history. He wants to remind them of God's faithfulness. So he recites the history of Israel. Listen to the word of God. He calls them to reevaluate and renew their love relationship with God. 
He calls his people to a time of reevaluation, renewal on the basis of the grace and faithfulness of God. This is what he does from verse, verse 2 down to verse 15. He reviews places, names, incidents from their salvation history. And then he calls them to evaluate what they've heard and then respond to it. Remember now, the God of Israel himself is speaking to Joshua. And he says, now I'm going to remind you of people who have blessed you. I'm going to remind you of events that have been good to you. I'm going to remind you of places and names and everything in the past. I want you to reflect upon them. And I want you to see my hand, my hand in all of it. So now follow me in your Bibles, if you will. Verse 3. Notice, I want you to see how many times God uses the word I. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. And I led him through all the land of Canaan. And I multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. See, he's starting way back from the beginning. From the call of Abraham. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. And to Esau, I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. And I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst. And afterwards, I brought you out. Do you see the emphasis on God's action God's work I I I verse 7 and I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and Egypt pursued your fathers and with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea but when they cried out to the Lord I put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them and your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt and you lived in the wilderness for a long time Verse 8, then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who live beyond the Jordan and they fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possessions of their land when I destroyed them before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel and he sent and summoned Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam. So he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. And you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorite and the Parasite, and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Gigasite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites before you, but not by your sword or your bow. And I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built. And you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. I planted them, is what he's saying. Do you see what God is saying? Everything in throughout your history, from the beginning to where you are today, I did it. Look back over your own life. All the good things in your life. Who are you saying did it? You have to thank God for what he has done in your life. God wants us to remember his actions, his activities on our behalf throughout our history from beginning to end. If I look back from the time that I became a Christian to now, it's only God who could do anything like that. Only God. God wants us to review his faithfulness in our life as we begin a new year. Will you do that? Will you spend some time today just meditating and reflecting on God's good hand upon you throughout your life. 
Joshua is making it clear that everything Israel had was a gift of God's grace. Did you understand that? Everything that we have is a gift of God's grace. What you are is because of God's grace. What you have is because of God's grace. The deliverance from Mesopotamia, the freedom from bondage in Egypt, the provision through the wilderness, the conquest in the land of Canaan, all were the result of God's grace. I say to you again, all that we have is the result of God's grace. All that we are is the result of God's grace. We are what we are. We have what we have because of God's grace. And you thank God for that, for his grace. It's a beautiful thing that God does in my life. He shows his grace. And the root meaning of grace is a beautiful act. When God does gracious things for us, he does a beautiful thing. Verse 14. Now, therefore, because of God's faithfulness, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Notice that. This is the result of God's goodness in your life now. This is a response of thankfulness to God. Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Notice, therefore, that's because of God's grace. Fear the Lord. That means reverence him, respect him, worship him. Serve him in sincerity and truth. Don't be a hypocrite. If you are a Christian, then live like a Christian. Don't skylock with God. That's what he's saying. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say, yes, I'm a child of God, but you live like a child of the devil. Don't come out here. You all come out here to worship God all every Sunday morning. Then you go home and you live like an unselfish brat. You gossip. You backbite. You get together with other people and you, 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 you plan things that are not good for the people of God. And you come back and you sing all these wonderful stories. I surrender all. That's hypocritical. God says, serve him in sincerity and truth. That's a decision you've got to make. Are you going to continue on the way you are now? Living a two-faced life as a Christian? One thing when you come on Sunday mornings, another when you go home, or when you go to work, or when you go to school? Stop fooling around with God. Because God's not going to put up with you forever. God is gracious. But sometimes God's grace ends if we continue to disobey. Verse 15. Notice now, Joshua is getting to the core. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord. In other words, if you don't like it, you can say, boy, the serving the Lord, that's too tough. Worshiping the Lord in sincerity and truth, that's too difficult. It means me giving, it means me having to uh, lose my pride. I have to confess something to somebody. I have to ask forgiveness. I have to forgive somebody. And I ain't going to do that. Well, God says to Joshua, if that's disagreeable to you to do, because that's serving the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. You've got a choice. And you've got to make it. And you're going to make it before you leave here, one way or the other. You're going to make a choice. Either you're going to serve God in sincerity and in truth, or you're going to pretend as though you are, and you're going to live like the hypocrite you've been all through the last year. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves 
today. Not tomorrow, not 2011, today. Whom you will serve. Now this is the challenge to the Israelites of that day. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, in other words, pagan gods, the gods of the world, are you going to continue to live like from what I have taken you from? I've taken you out of Egypt. I've taken you all out of all of these false religions, all these false gods, in order for you to serve the true and living God in the land that I promised you. Are you going to come now in this land and live as though you're still over there? Today we say one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Whether the gods which your father served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. He wanted them to clean them out and they refused to do so. They want to coexist. Are you going to continue to choose these gods? Are you going to go after them? In the Old Testament, the prophets get real naughty. N-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Are you going to go a-whoring after other gods? You're supposed to be committed to me. When you share your love with others, you're committing spiritual adultery. Boy, it's amazing how we like to talk about people who live in immoral lives and doing all of this and all of that. And yet when it comes to our own spiritual life, we are living immorally because we're going after other gods. Choose your master. That's what Joshua is saying. Paul speaks of the same principle in Romans chapter 6. Notice what he says. Romans 6 verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves of obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. We've got to serve a master. You can't serve two. Jesus taught that himself. Who's your master today? You say God. Is he? Does your life reflect that? Or are you still living with the characteristics of the false gods in your life? The world, the flesh, the devil. Who will you serve? You can answer that question not here today. But when you walk outside and start living in the world, they're going to know who your master is. Your family knows who your master is. Your husband knows who your master is. Your wife knows who your master is. Your children knows who your master is. Your mom, your dad knows who your master is. Whom will you serve? Who's your master? What Joshua is saying to his people, don't be a hypocrite any longer. Don't waver between two opinions. Don't sit on the fence. Show your real colors. Wave your flag if you are a Christian. Let everybody know that you are serving the true and living God. Show your flag. Be who you are. Don't say you are a godly person, but live like the devil. You have to choose to choose today who your master is. Don't sit on the fence concerning your commitment in the new year. Are you going into the new year all sold out to your master, your Lord, your Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you still going there like a little old wimpy Christian? Well, you know, if I can't do this, I will. And if I'm too tired, I'll come out to prayer meeting. No, I'll come out of the Bible study. Well, you know, I know I should be reading my Bible, but man, I got to get caught up on. 
People magazine first. I ain't got time to read the Bible, to study the Bible. Man, look at the 24 is starting in two weeks' time. Don't talk about the Super Bowl. Don't fool with that. That's holy time for me. Someone who's very dear to me, like a certain program. When that program starts, boy, we don't get into it. So I go there, I say, she's now about to have our devotions. <laughs> we laugh at that, but many times we put things like this in the place of God. And we show who our real master is. We have many opportunities for spiritual growth here. The discovery classes, the many churches. Even teleos, and I encourage you to come to teleos. We're going to be studying salvation from beginning to end. Predestination, foreknowledge. Did Jesus Christ die for all men or just for the elect? Eternal security. All that kind of a stuff. We want you to examine your faith, evaluate and see whether or not you're being the faith. Study the word. That's how you become a real servant of God. When you know what God wants you to do and how to do it, he tells you. Choose your master. Make a choice now. Whom will you serve in the new year? Joshua leads the way, as all true leaders should do. He says in verse 16, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now that serve means worship. That doesn't mean only doing things. That word takes in the concept of the worship as well. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank God I made that choice years ago. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What about you and your house? Whom will you serve in the new year? And look at the people's response. Verse 16. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I love that. That's like being an evangelistic meeting and saying, How many of you will want to be saved today? How many of you want to be saved? Raise your hand. That's what the people doing here. They're raising the hand. That's good, isn't it? You see these rays? I see that hand. And that bride, and that's how they do it. I see that hand. I see that hand. That's what they say. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went. And among all the peoples through those Midst that we pass. He said, no man, we cannot forsake the Lord. He's done too much for us. We just cannot forsake him. And the Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Isn't that great? And I believe right now I ask all of you who will respond like that. Every one of you will stand up and say that. And we as preachers say, hey boy, look at that. Another feather in my cap. Another notch. We put the notches in the belt. But notice what this preacher Joshua did. Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. Don't skylock with Joshua. I don't care how much hands you raise. That don't mean one thing to me. Because remember who you're responding to. He is a holy God. And remember what he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Don't fool around with God. Don't be a hypocrite. 
Don't say you're going to serve him and still think you're going to live an unholy life. You will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. No matter what Oprah Winfrey says, God is a jealous God. He is jealous of his holiness, of his character. He's a jealous God. You cannot go around flirting with other gods. You can't go flirting with other lovers. You can't go cuddling up with other lovers and then say, I love God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you stay the way you are. Notice, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. Now that's the God that we serve, whether you want to accept it or not. You could come and make all the promises and all the all of the New Year resolutions you like, but if you go back on them, God is going to still judge you. And he's going to judge you severely. Don't fool around with God. God is a holy God. And he says, be holy even as I am holy. He wants us to live holy lives. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And to see that holiness is not just coming in, singing good songs and worshiping and bringing an offering. That's fine. But we're going to see tonight that holiness has to do with how we treat the poor. And notice this challenge. All these people raise their hand. I won't come forward. Uh uh-uh, uh, don't come forward now. I want you to come forward. That's what you're saying. You ever see that done in evangelistic meeting? Here's what you gotta do. Now, therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord. Incline, direct focus, think on heavenly things. Paul talks about in Colossians about our having been heavenly minded. Incline your hearts to the Lord. What do you think about during the day? What do you talk about when you get with your friends? Think about the conversations you have when you have your little parties. What do you talk about? Are those conversations inclined toward the Lord? You can see who you serve. Or who your heart is inclined to when you talk. Now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. They did the same thing when they were given the Ten Commandments. When they were given the commandments, we will obey. You know what happened. This is what Joshua has in mind here, the same thing. They've made this promise again and again. Today you said they got saved again and again, or they got revived again and again, or they got whatever again and again. Like the old lady sitting in these revival meetings. Every night she watched a man walk down when he says, How many of you want to be filled with the Spirit? This man would walk down the place every night after night. Finally, this old lady sitting down in front when the man came up and said, I want to be filled. The old lady said, Preacher. He can't be filled. He say he leaks too much. <laughs> he leaks too much. That's what happens with a lot of us. We leak too much when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. A covenant. God is involved in this now, not just man. It's a covenant. Verse 26, And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for witness against you, lest you deny your God. Joshua made a covenant. And then he used a symbol. He actually used this rock, if you want. And the covenant was engraved. And this stone, uh, Joshua, thinking about the history of his people, how many times have made commitments, I got them gone back and back and back. He says, now here, this is a covenant, this is a witness against you. Every time you disobey the Lord, every time you go your own way, every time you live an unholy life, this is God's judgment against you. He's telling you, reminding you of what you did. When you go contrary to it, you're living a lie. You're a hypocrite. I remember my professor, Dr. Pentecost, I called him Dr. P. He said one time he was having meetings with students within the varsity in the camp, the hundreds of them. And they were talking about the same thing about commitment. But it has to do with the idea of dying to Christ. We have died with Christ, Paul tells us. And Dr. Pentecost was trying to bring out the truth that that's what real commitment to Christ is, dying to self. And so he said, if you made a commitment today, I don't want you to come forward. I don't want to raise your hand. But what I want you to do is to go somewhere in the forest. And I want you to make a little cross. And I want you to put your name and a date on it and says, Adderley died to Christ January the 3rd. 2010. And he dismissed him. And he said that evening he walked through the forest. And throughout the forest, on all of the ground, all of these little crosses, these people who have made commitments, they died to Christ. They chose to choose Christ. What's your choice? If you've never placed faith in Jesus Christ and you walk out here today the way you came in, you have made a choice. And that choice is to reject Jesus Christ again. But the invitation is out to you today, right now. You can just come to him confessing that you're a sinner and know that Christ died on your behalf, was raised again. You place your faith in him and that will be the greatest choice you can make in this new year. Some of you who believe us, you know your life isn't right with God. You know that you're living like a hypocrite. You still lie and steal and cheat. You still backbite and you still gossip. You still don't read the Bible as you should. You don't pray as you should. You don't share Christ as you should. You know that. You've got to make a choice today. Are you going to wholly follow God and give up all of these characteristics of serving false God? And commit to being holy as he is holy? I encourage you to say something like this. It doesn't have to be like this. And as I do, please bow with me now as we close. And if you want to make any kind of commitment to God, whatever it may be,
It might be for salvation. It might be for a recommitment to Bible reading, Bible study, sharing Christ, serving in the church. It might be that you have to ask forgiveness. You might have to extend forgiveness, whatever it is. Say something along this line. Father, in obedience to your call upon my life through your word today, I willingly and gladly choose to wholly follow God with a pure heart and with his help serve him from pure motives. And with his help to turn away from everyone and everything that will hinder my relationship with you. I make this covenant against myself to be true to this commitment in this year and beyond. And I will do so by, and then put there in your own mind or writing it down, what you'll do, maybe in your Bible. Maybe you might do the same thing, take a little cross and go someplace that the day I have died to self and have committed myself to wholly follow God. Whatever it may be, that will be a testimony against you if you refuse it. Make that covenant with God right now. Determine in your heart that you will not enter this new year spiritually the way you came out of the old one, but that you will continue to seek those spiritual disciplines that lead to spiritual maturity in Christ and that will demonstrate publicly that you have made a choice to wholly follow God in this new year and beyond. Maybe you could tell someone that you've done this afterwards. That could be a means of the covenant that you're sealing by that witness to someone else as well. Father, thank you for your word. We take your promise today that it will not return to you void but it will accomplish the purpose for which you've sent it forth. And all of God's people said, Amen.